This is ContraZoom. Where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Ho. This week we continue with our A24 retrospective looking at 2013's Lock starring Tom Hardy, one of my personal favorites in the A24 catalog. Be sure to check out our last episode in the series, episode 194, where we discussed Underneath the Skin with Callum McNabb of the Scare Traducing podcast. For this week's episode, we're joined by Thomas Stoneham Judge. Thomas is a Rotten Tomatoes-approved film critic based out of Seattle and the founder and editor-in-chief for For Real, a fantastic website with great reviews, interesting interviews with filmmakers, um, and one that I actually do genuinely visit quite often. Um, So thanks so much for joining us, Thomas. How are you doing? I'm flattered. (laughs) I'm so so happy. I do genuinely. I really like your interviews. I I, I watch them. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Okay, great. Well, now I feel so ready for this now. (laughs) (laughs) And Thomas's response is, I don't even know what podcast I'm on. (laughs) (laughs) Who who are you guys again? Who are you? (laughs) Um, Who's this? Um, I've always wanted to ask you, Thomas, like when you're interviewing people, are you in like a log cabin? You know what? This has come up a couple times uh, <laughs> off the record with uh, <laughs> with some of the interviewees I've had. So this is what I call my studio. But some people have actually said like, oh, you must be in a sauna, which I think is a very weird place. To yeah, live it kind of looks like one. Though. It does. Right. So this is just this is my it's a it's a shed that I'm purposing as a studio. I did not oh. do the interior design here. It came with the house. And this is just the space that I have. I do need to do some redecorating. <laughs> and, for, and if you're if you're curious what she's talking about you can always go to yeah, go, go to this is for real.com and uh, find one of my interviews it is almost guaranteed to be the background is just this <laughs> like wood paneling that looks very sauna-esque um and i guess it i mean i have my uh heater in here even if it's warm out i still keep it on because i guess i'm somewhat of a reptile so maybe it is a sauna i don't know I just figured it was like a log cabin out in like the Pacific Northwest, like you PNW people. I figured you guys all had log cabins. Yeah, you know, actually, you know what? Uh, not joking. We actually, our house is kind of log cabin. <laughs> definitely. So this is the this is the shed outside of the house. But if you were to see the house, it definitely looks like a log cabin. And I love every bit of it. That's amazing. I like that. I was partly right. Like it is you were. log cabin. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, Dakota, how are you doing? I'm I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I'm I'm glad that we can finally have Thomas on here. Uh, we've been we've been kind of circling each other for the last little while, uh, and so it's nice to actually have a real conversation. I think you you sent in a voicemail before. Am I am I remembering that correctly, Thomas? <laughs> yes, uh, I think this was a part of the podcast um, where we looked back, where you looked back over what favorite films of last year, and I sent a yes. voicemail about the, the one and only Blee. <laughs> <laughs> exactly because yes, i i can't go on the record apparently without mentioning fleas so we're just going to keep that trend up in in <laughs> yes in in uh in respect of the loss of oscars that that movie <sighs> suffered during the oscars i time. was incredibly disappointed i was so sure it was going to take something like i was it very anyways three Listen, nom- we okay. don't need to get I, into this i, I digress i digress <laughs> I <know. laughs> Um, all right, so we're going to be talking about Locke in depth, but of course, before we do that, we're going to ask Thomas our A24 for questions. I think we're still sticking with that title. Is that correct, Dakota? Yes. 
Yeah, so here we go. So um, we've had every guest that we've had on for this series answer these four questions, and I am very excited to hear Thomas's um, answers. He's already told us that uh, he's going to be bending the rules just a little bit, so mm-hmm. let's see where we go with this. Yeah. All right, so <laughs> the first question, Thomas, what are your top three A24 films? Okay, so there's a <laughs> If y'all Buckle didn't in. know, there's a lot of A24 films. Mm-hmm. Um, and so looking through the list and kind of remembering which ones I've seen, which ones I really liked and trying to organize this list was a challenge. It took me a couple days. Um, and so what I'll start with is an honorable mention, um, which is uh, The Death of Dick Long. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that one at the Seattle Film Festival. And this was one of those films that I walked into not really knowing anything um and if you've seen the death of dick long um there's uh it 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 takes some very interesting turns that i was not expecting and i think that shock value um and where it ends up with the story just made it a very wonderful uh film festival experience so the honorable mention right there is death of dick long um so my official number three um which is pretty straightforward um i am going to put ex machina at number three um it's just i mean sci-fi uh uh, interesting uh, development of a story and interesting twist um i also am am usually really attracted to movies that have limited casts and uh and settings so this movie fits like right in that um kind of in that subcategory for me and so yeah that that's that's an interesting one that tends to come up when i think about e24 okay number two um is bending the rules a little bit uh and (laughs) instead of mentioning one film uh this is going to be kind of a a subcategory a kind of of a24 and that is robert egert's films Uh the lighthouse and the witch so i'm just kind of lump those together um i don't think he he didn't do in the northman what he did with these two movies which i think is unfortunate but that's also why i'm happy the northman is not an a24 film because then i can have this nice little subcategory um but these movies they they just have this like crawl under your skin nature to them uh that i greatly appreciate um in both uh uh, kind of period pieces, uh, I guess, very stylistically um, unique, but uh, but also super compelling. And also, I mean, a little um, like a uh, um, simmering kind of tension. And I, I love that when you can craft simmering tension in a film. I'm all about that. So anyway, number two, Robert Egert's A24 films, Lighthouse and The Witch. And then my number one um, is also going to bend the rules in the similar way. So kind of subcategory here. And that is going to be uh, 2022 family themed films. So that's <laughs> after Yang, Marcel, the shell with shoes on and everything everywhere all at once. That's amazing. Yeah. I like that you chose like recent <laughs> ones, actually. That's that's incredible. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I, do, I can't stop talking about everything everywhere all at once. So but good. also, Marcel hasn't come out yet. And so um, I can't talk about that one a whole lot. It's kind mm-hmm. of like one of my first on the record opportunities to like be like, Marcel, the shell with shoes on. <laughs> um, and then uh, and then, yeah, after Yang was just a, a really nice uh, uh, Sundance watch. And so, you know, they have this family theme going on there that's not uh you know not in the like thriller horror suspense thing that i i typically go to a24 for um so i find it very interesting that we have you know so many family themed films uh from a24 this year 
So let me get this straight. If my math is correct, that was seven movies for three seven, slots. Top seven. Top Look, seven. Top seven of A24 movies, yeah. I warned you guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good mix, though. I like that. I like that there's like mm-hmm. some new one. Because I, I think after Yang, like I love everything everywhere all at once as well. Like I think it's for most people, it's going to probably be on a lot of people's top tens at the end of the year. But mm-hmm. I like after Yang, I remember watching it and just it was like I was like hit in the chest by after Yang. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that movie. Um, but I like that you chose like the classics. You have the Robert Eggers stuff. And I agree mm-hmm. about the Northman as well. Yeah. Um, and Jeff will be that. very happy to hear uh, the death of Dick Long. He's already yeah. uh, volunteered himself to come <laughs> on the podcast for that. Jeff from Classic, classic Movies Live. Uh, stole my opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll have both of you on for that. <laughs> Maybe. Or you can choose any of the other six movies I just mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get it's a bit of a story time. So what was your introduction to A24? This is also a very interesting uh, question. Um, I didn't bend rules here. Uh, I do have an answer. Uh, and <laughs> and so I remember, so there's a little theater here in Bellingham called uh, the Pickford Theater, uh, Pickford Film Center. And I don't know why I... I decided to go see this film when when they played it but i think it was just scarlett johansson you know like that name brand i was like oh i like her uh well, let's go see this movie and so i took my husband to pickford to go see this movie uh under the skin and uh that was my introduction to a24 um it was a wonderful introduction for me like i was so uh just so entranced by the beguiling nature of this movie um and I loved the experience. I don't know if I'm ever going to watch it again, but uh, it was a wonderful experience to have the first time. Um, this was early on in, in, in me and my husband's relationship. Uh, I'm trying to think. <laughs> so you're telling the story, huh? Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I think he was still in kind of this like, um, you know, uh, um, I don't want to say people pleasing, but like he was still trying to like you know, do things that I was interested in. And so I don't think at the time he acknowledged how much he hated that movie. Oh. Um, <laughs> oh, no. that's, that's just, uh, as I know now, that's just not his thing. And I've taken him to movies that are kind of similar to it. And since then I, I have now learned the truth. Um, that was not his film and he did not like it, but you know, I, I, I enjoyed it so much that he just kind of went with it. And that was his introduction to a 24. <laughs> what didn't he like about it like everything it's not his he, thing or like, it is not his thing he he, thing. he needs more conventional type storytelling and it's not that he exclusively watches like mainstream films like he can there there have been some movies we've watched at film festivals where he's like oh yeah that's not bad but uh but um under the skin was one that was just too unconventional for him um and and uh, I think com- combining that and and uh, maybe I think it was a couple of years later we saw a ghost story in Seattle drove all the way down to Seattle to watch that and uh, he he drew a line there. <laughs> wow! No more of these unconventional None. films. <laughs> He's got like, which I respect, reverse. you know. Yeah, it's like you know how like these days I've heard that people go to A twenty four movies and they like cheering at the the logo mm-hmm. when the logo pops mm-hmm. up. Your husband's got like the opposite. He's just like, I- I'm oh, out. I'm out. We're, we're not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he's uh, he's. I think he's like learned that that walking out of the movie is an option, and so. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
So oh. uh, anyway, I had a very pleasant introduction to A24. <laughs> I, I just I can't uh, I can't say the same for my husband. And, and, and that's the story. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, all right. So what director, dead or alive, um, would make a good A24 film? I am very excited to answer this. Um, you know, I I kind of went to like, okay, what movies do I like that I'm surprised aren't A24? Um, one movie that I thought seems like right in like an A24 wheelhouse that I would appreciate is the film Upgrade. Um, so I thought that director, I think his name is Lee. Lee Winnell. Uh, Winnell. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think he would make an interesting A24 film. I also thought about Joel Edgerton. Um, I think that The Gift oh. was a was a very interesting uh, film that could have been under the A24 banner. Um, but ultimately, my official answer, because apparently I'm just giving more answers than I'm asked to give. <laughs> um, but my official answer is something that I realized recently watching TV. And I would really love to see the directorial debut of Donald Glover be in a 24 film. Mm. That is an Interesting. excellent answer. Yeah. I think that's the best answer we've gotten for this question. <laughs> I, uh, that's, I thought, that's amazing. I thought I very, because, you know, I'm what I've watched through Atlanta and Atlanta is built as a comedy drama show. And season one certainly fills that, uh, that kind of genre. But season two does some very uh, offbeat horror things mm-hmm. that makes me think, why is this still considered a comedy? Like, there's still comedic aspects to it. But I'm like, I feel like I'm watching, um, like, you know, uh, stuff Jordan Peele would make, right? Yeah, like, the Teddy Perkins episode is definitely Jordan Peele-esque. Oh, for sure. And so this like racial horror kind of um, thing at, at A24, like if you all are listening, you, you need to have a conversation <laughs> with Donald Glover and and snap him up before someone else does. Because if you want to compete with Jordan Peele, uh, you know, horror films, I think Donald Glover is the way to go. That's a great. That's interesting. I, I wonder if uh, Donald Glover would, would be able to command more money as for his budget than maybe a 24 would be willing to do, because that's like one of the reasons why Eggers wasn't, didn't do the Northman with a 24 was because he wanted a bigger budget and a 24 mm-hmm. wasn't Which able to do it. So butt, I wonder though. if that would be something <laughs> right. yes. that uh, Donald but you Glover know what? would maybe have. I don't know if I want him to be to have a bigger budget. I yeah. really like these like very story driven kind of like situational um oh absolutely uh, dramas, yeah. right? So like I and I I would argue that Eggers it, the the bigger budget works in his detriments in yeah. yes. in the Northman, yes. right? So mm-hmm. no, like the, you know, give give limitations at least as a, a, a again as a directorial debut, give some limitations, see what he can do with those limitations yeah. and yeah. and uh and and make it happen. Look, I just I need Donald to make movies <laughs> yeah and if we're talking if we're talking atlanta uh as much as 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 uh don glover has been such a creative force behind the creation and and, and mapping of all that we gotta give a, a special shout out to uh, hero Murai, who has directed all the episodes of that mm-hmm. show too he yes. does um i think episodes of barry as well like he did he did some yes. in the mm-hmm. first three seasons i think and his episodes are amazing in barry yeah he's, yeah, he's a phenomenal I, director Okay. Yes, uh, for sure. I need to follow whatever he does because um, I think I I'm watching. I've watched the Barry. In fact, I actually rewatched seasons one and two to watch season oh, three. It's such a good show. It's uh, so good. I like <laughs> wait for them to like. I 
let them build up like this new season i've been letting them build up because they're only 30 minutes oh, yeah. so i've been just letting them build up so i can sit there and watch them for a little bit and longer. just binge it because like i said i went and rewatched seasons one and two before season three like now it's just a couple weeks ago so like i it was so easy to just like crank yeah. through these episodes again and it's so entertaining they're such um, good i love barry barry's yes that and better call Saul are my two shows right now that i'm nice obsessed with <laughs> um Okay, so final question, and I think your answer is going to be very interesting here. And maybe you're going to bend the rules too. I don't know how, but you know, maybe you will. Um, so the question is, uh, what makes an A24 movie to you? You know what? I had to think on this question uh, for a long time uh, because at first I think, oh, because when I think of A24 films, I think of of you know the horror, thriller, suspense kind of things. But as I mentioned, my number. Number one, A24 subcategory, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Our family themed films from this year. So, mm-hmm. you know, they, you, you can't narrow it down to genre. Um, I don't know if there's anything thematically that they that they put into uh, in, or that they look for in, in films. I don't know. Does A24 know what it makes an A24 film? I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my official answer is not the Northman. that's that's uh i think that's a pretty firm conclusion on my part uh, that the northman is not an a24 film and i'm glad glad that eagers took that elsewhere um but really yeah a24 spans a a wide it it casts a wide net on the type of movies that it uh that it distributes and i appreciate that i appreciate that it's not kind of pigeonholed into a particular niche um but i think that ultimately an a24 film is something for me that is memorable um and that can be either in a good way or a bad way or a mediocre way. Like something that I, I think most A24 films that I've seen, I remember having seen and I remember when I saw them and I remember how I felt uh, about that. When there's a lot of films, I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I did see that. What did I think about it? Uh, I should probably rewatch that. I don't know. But like with A24, there, there is a, there is definitely a, um, an impression that A24 mm-hmm. makes when I watch them. That's a really good answer, I think, because it, it is a kind of an intangible quality that mm-hmm. the, that they have. But like, I like that thing of saying like it's just a feeling that you have after watching their movies. It's not mm-hmm. not necessarily something that's like oh, like, put you in deep thought or even makes you happy or right. makes you sad. It's just like you kind of it leaves a mark on you somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can you can sort of subcategorize a bunch of their movies of like oh they've got their you know their cerebral horror movie ones they've got their family dramas they've got their high concept comedies things like that but they all definitely have a feeling that is kind of hard to replicate which is weird considering they're half distribution company half production company so it's not even like they they always have their hands and everything, but they know their branding well enough when they're at a film festival and they're shopping for films and being like, this is the vibe we're going for. This is what we're trying to elicit from people. Yeah, definitely. And I like that the Northman has become like a test case now being like, <laughs> this is, this is exactly what happens when you don't go with a 24, like when you or like when, <laughs> yeah, like when, when you're a, a quote unquote, like an indie director, if you want to call mm-hmm. it that, and then you move yep. to the big budget, like not everybody can make that transition and deal with the studio too. Cause like, I think that was a big part of it mm-hmm. was just having, it was universal, right? I think it's a universal movie um so it's like having to deal with studio heads like not every director is capable of or not i don't mean capable in like a negative way just like it's not in everyone's wheelhouse to have to 
capitulate so much, um, you know, and, and not everyone's going to be Chris Nolan and has the mm-hmm. the power to command their own decision-making on film. So it's, yeah, I, I actually think the Northman, as much as we're kind of making fun of it, it's just like, it's an interesting film to look at in his career specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, all right. So thank you for that, Thomas. Yes. I really enjoyed your, your <laughs> rule breaking answers. That was fantastic. Um, <laughs> All right, so we're going to dive into Locke. And before we do, it's this usual warning for everyone. If you haven't seen the movie, um, we are going to talk about spoilers. So either be okay with the spoilers or log off and go watch the movie first. Because it is a very, very great movie, in my opinion. Anyways. Hi, love. I need you to hold it together. What happened? I'll fix it. We'll all go back to normal. No matter what the situation is, you can make it good. This is a joke to you. No. Right now, nothing is a joke anymore. You make one little mistake. Eventually, cracks appear. I'm not believing it. I was 23 years old. Cracks Listen to me, you piece of worthless shit. Don't threaten me! Then they will grow. Um, all right, so Locke premiered at the Venice International Film Festival back in 2013, and it debuted in cinemas in April 2014. A24 acquired the distribution rights to the movie during the 2013 Toronto F- International Film Festival, which was at the same film festival that it also acquired Enemy and Underneath the Skin, both movies which we've recently discussed in the series. So TIFF 2013 was a really busy, a busy festival for A24. And I think marked a time that they kind of purchased these, this trilogy of, of pretty great movies um, that would define the studio in many ways. Um, so my first fun fact about Locke, I have two fun facts. Um, the first one is even though Locke was purchased at TIFF 2013, it didn't actually screen during the festival, which is very mm. odd and quite bonkers. But even more bonkers is the reason for that is still not really known. It, it's very ominous online of why that is. All the the trades and stuff just go it's for reasons unknown. It, it didn't um, actually screen at the festival. So there was quite a big bidding war for Locke, and that was purely based off of the hype that it got at Venice. So it, it clearly had a lot of legs to it, um, but for whatever reason, didn't make it into TIFF, although Enemy did screen at TIFF, and I believe Under the Skin also did screen at TIFF. Um, so Locke is directed by Stephen Knight, who is one of, or who is the creator behind one of, um, the great gangster TV shows, Peaky Blinders. He also wrote, uh, he's written a lot of screenplays, including David Cronenberg's Eastern Promises. And while Locke is a one man show with only Tom Hardy seen on screen as Ivan Locke, the film also features vocal performances from Olivia Coleman, Ruth Wilson, Andrew Scott, and Tom Holland. The film takes place in real time over 90 minutes in the car with Ivan. Over the course of his drive to a location that we first don't know about, Ivan receives 36 phone calls. He receives calls from his co-workers about a huge job that he's walked out on in favor of the trip that he's currently taking. He calls his wife and admits that he's been unfaithful to her and he's dealing with the ensuing fallout with her and their two sons. And then we learn eventually that the journey that he's on is to meet his one-time lover at the hospital as she's preparing to give birth to their child. There's a lot in the film. It's um, quite a minimalistic movie. Um, cinematically speaking, it just takes place in a BMW 
I think it was an X6, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and it's takes it's all filmed down the M6 motorway in the UK. It was filmed over six days. Um, my second fun fact about the movie is that Tom Hardy was actually sick during the filming of it, which is why Ivan is unwell um, throughout the whole film, um, the 90 minute film, because he he really wasn't actually feeling well. So they rather than delay the filming, they just added it into the character, which does add a bit of um, a bit of texture to the movie is just this idea of a man who's really, really knocked down and um, dealing with a lot of shit being thrown at him. So I really love this movie, as I've already said, but um, how do you guys rate Locke as a film? So Thomas, let's start with you. How do you feel about the movie? You know, overall, I, I like the film. I think that this is a movie that, um, that benefits a lot from the single man performance. Again, kind of like I, I mentioned earlier, I really enjoy films um, that have limited casts and limited settings. Well, this is about as limited as you get. Um, you know, you have uh, you just this one man show, at least physically on screen, there are, uh, mm-hmm. uh, voice, um, uh, voice actors. Um, but, uh, but yeah, in, in this car and that is like 99% of the movie. Um, so aside from like the, the, you know, B roll shots that get him into the car and, and, uh, um, and that he exits on, but anyway, um, I, I like it overall and I really enjoy it. I enjoy the minimalism of the film. Uh, I enjoyed how kind of all the details, um, play out and uh but but i think there is a lot of conversation to be had about this character and the situation that he's in and how he chooses to handle it which i am i am very excited to to discuss more here yeah this is a movie i i had seen once before i guess uh first i want to say i i really loved your your fun facts the first one is very interesting and i wish there was a bit more information on that and uh, Weird, the second right? fun, yeah. yeah, yeah. And the second fun fact I found especially funny since, uh, you know, he was actually sick. But there's a line in the movie where he's talking to his coworker or his boss or whatever, and he's like, "Why don't you just say you're sick?" He goes, "Because I'm not sick." <laughs> As he's like, <laughs> meanwhile, wiping his nose and like sneezing every few minutes. <laughs> So that was a little funny and just a nice little side there. I'm not sick. Yes, you are, Tom. You're very sick. I can tell. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I'd, I'd seen this movie once before. I hadn't seen it before uh, I was doing my this way back at the start of this A24 project stuff when I, I first did the history of A24. And then I did my, my top 10 list and I had Royce Benson come on and kind of made a list of notable ones I hadn't seen. And he was sort of talking about which ones might make his list. And Locke was one of the ones that I, that he said he was pretty high on. So I watched it because of that. And that was the first time I watched it. So that was maybe two years ago, whenever that was. And I got to say, it didn't quite hold my attention. Like it's so tough for a, a one person show to like really grab your attention at the best of times. And, and, and this was a case where it wasn't the best of times where I just kind of was just like, eh, it's okay. Like, interestingly enough, both times I've watched it, I have found the, the most interesting aspects of it are the actual phone calls themselves, not Tom Hardy, but the other people on the phone lines. Mm-hmm. And I watched this and I'm, I'm so fascinated by this construction project. That's the most interesting stuff to me is <laughs> how is this construction project going to get finished? And I don't know why, but for some reason, maybe it's Andrew Scott. I think Andrew Scott probably has the best performance in this movie. He mm-hmm. just has such a good range in it. And, mm-hmm. and I love his voice. He's got such a terrific voice. 
and and it really played to his strengths. And so, it, yeah, once again, I'm just like, yeah, it's, it's an okay movie. If you like Tom Hardy, you'll probably at least enjoy it somewhat because you get to stare at his beautiful face for an hour and a half. But, you know, other than that, it's okay. It's it, I don't hate it. I don't love it. It just kind of sits there in that mushy middle of it's a fine movie for me. Well, let's talk about why you're wrong. You know, I, I, it's interesting, um, listening to, to, uh, that reaction because I, I think that, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure the first time I watched it, I wasn't really paying a whole lot of, t- of attention to it. And so I, I did go rewatch it, uh, again this week and, um, and it, you know, it'd been so long. It was kind of like watching it for the first time. And I think that, um, I can understand why this movie probably appealed like in 2013 um, because, you know, it just, it's just, uh, it's kind of unconventional with just the one setting and, you know, uh, the, you know, the voices and, and, and him just kind of acting around voice actors. Um, so I guess I can get the the technical appeal about it, but I, I do, I did spend some of this movie thinking, I think there's an interesting remake in here somewhere. Like this seems like a, mm-hmm. a, 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 a proof of concept for something a little more robust. Would you, would you want like a remake in terms of, I guess like a different setting inter not a setting, but like, so say if we do it, say 10 years later and like how the right. world is a little bit different now, or I mean like technology or like what, what would fascinate you about a remake for this one? You know, I, I just, I think that I want more, more context, right? Cause I think okay. that this movie, it does what it can uh, with like um, explaining everyone's like role in his life, but you know, like Dakota says, uh, the construction project is fascinating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I really, I really want to know more about this construction project. Um, you know, I, 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 and I think I want a better, uh, um, more. Maybe a better fleshed out character out of uh, Tom Hardy's character, uh, Ivan, um, because there, there's things that that he does in this movie that just i don't think um is as um i don't know if i want to say believable but there's things i would change about his character i guess and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so there's just it's just in this little thing and i don't even know if i'm saying we you know they need to make a remake next year right like i think it's too soon this movie still it still holds up um but like i spent a lot of the movie thinking there there is there's a a bigger movie here. There's a, a more robust movie here. Um, and I enjoyed the experience and I, again, I like minimalism storytelling like that. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm just like, there's, you, you could probably do more, um, with character development. You could probably do more with context and, and what's going on with the other characters. And I don't know, you can bring in, um, I don't know, maybe there's something that's happening on the radio or current events or something, right? Like, I think there's a lot that you could bring into this. And this was just a very minimal version of that. Would you say that if it was maybe filming the other sides of the conversation, if we were seeing that, do you think that would maybe help round it out a bit better? You know, I maybe, but at the same time, I think it would take away from that that niche that I like, where it is just one person in this one setting, right? Like, um, there's another movie that that I will bring up in when when I'm asked um, uh, <laughs> um, that has a very similar concept, and that I did think. I wonder if this movie would benefit from like filming outside of this one environment that is taking place in. Um, but no, I I think. I think artistically, 
Um, I like that 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 these filmmakers are are taking on this challenge of being in this one space and staying in that one space. So I'll say um, I watched this movie in the theaters and I think that that is very helpful because this is one of those movies because it is just Tom Hardy on screen. He's just in a set like setting. It's just in his car. Um, You know, you talk about movies that require your attention. This is definitely one of those. Like you can't, I think it's, even though it's not a big cinematic piece, like a Top Gun or something that I think is greatly benefited from watching in theaters, I think that the reason to watch this one in theaters more if just your attention is solely focused on what's going on on the screen. You don't take your, well, I hope you don't take your phone out and like you don't really talk with people. You're just focusing on that. And I find for me that really helped in terms of just immersing, immer, immersing, immersing, that's the word, <laughs> immersing myself um, into the story and what was going on because there's, there's just no distractions and it's just me in a movie theater um, watching this 90 minutes play out. And um, yeah, so I, I can, as much as I could, like I can understand why I think for some people it doesn't work because it is minimalist to um, an extreme and that's not always going to be the case. And it, it depends too on like your headspace at the time. Like if you're feeling a bit antsy or prickly at the time, then like this movie's not going to work for you. You kind of need to be in a, in a proper mood for it. Um, so I, I get what, Dakota, you're saying about just like how it just didn't grab you and how it didn't really take you. Um, one thing though, Thomas, you brought up is about, you know, the filming style of it. It's just in in there. So, you know, uh, one of the major criticisms that people kind of give to this movie is whether or not, or not criticisms, but just kind of a question that comes up from this movie is whether or not it's a stunt. Like, is it a cinematic stunt to just say, you're just going to be focusing on um, one man in the car that's it there is the one scene where he gets in the car but other than that everything takes place in here and you're going to get the phone calls in in real time and um, but we'll never see them kind of thing so for you guys do you think that it is a stunt like would you consider it to be a stunt or do you think that it's executed well enough that it it kind of supersedes the idea that the label of stunt i think if it was a stunt they should have done it in one take Mm, interesting. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, that I think that would qualify as I, you know, I don't think I ever got that impression. If it was intended to be a stunt, if it was just like a, a you know, uh, the filmmaker saying, "Hey, let's just see if we can do a film," because I don't know how many. I guess I can't think of any other movies that uh, before 2013 that take place um, this isolated. Um, you know, that made it to theaters. And I mean, I, I feel like my catalog is probably a little limited. Um, so there probably are, but I don't know how many of those made it to the mainstream and were like uh, commercially or um, or critically successful. Um, but but I, I do think that it's, um, you know, it sets the, at least in my mind, from my experience with filmmaking, it, it's it said you can do this and it can work, right? And mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. Um, so yeah. Dakota, how about you? Yeah, I, I don't care for the term stunt when, in when reviewing movies or being critical about movies, like I, I really loved, uh, 1917 and mm-hmm. I know a lot of people's complaints about, well, it was just a stunt. They're just making it look like it's a single take movie or things like that. And, and I, and I dislike it because I feel like it's a disservice 
to the filmmakers who are making a conscious decision to try to separate themselves from other films and add a layer of interest to what they're trying to make. And so I would push back on, on you know, Locke being a stunt movie as that as well, because, you know, it, it's still very interestingly crafted where how do you create drama out of uh, a person sitting in a car only taking phone calls where where that's the only thing that you can go off of. And, you know, they, they, they try to spruce it up a little bit by, you know, having some, you know, shots outside the car of lights flashing by and you know every once in a while you'll see a police siren and you see the cop car drive by and things like that you get some some you know fancy shots and things like that but for the most part it's pretty much you know cameras fixed on tom hardy's face either from the front from the side and that's what you're going on but uh yeah i i just kind of i don't i don't like the the terminology stunt movie for that reason but all that said you know i I, I it's so tough because it, it, it's it's just a fine movie for me. It sort of reminds me of I know Thomas, you're trying to think of other movies that were similar. I didn't end up seeing this, but I remember hearing about it. There was this Steve Buscemi starring movie where it was him and one actress, and I can't remember who it was. And it was just the two of them in a single room or whatever it is, and that was the movie. But what they did was they filmed it four times, but each time they wore different outfit so that way they could only use one take of this movie one one setup of mm. this movie and they couldn't edit you know like oh your your reaction was better and you know the second time we did well we couldn't because we were wearing yellow shirts and the first time we were wearing red shirt sort of thing hmm. um so it just sort of reminds me of that a little bit where you know you you only you can only work with what you have here and it seems like because of the fact that you only have you know a camera in front of him and the side of him and sometimes we'll get some shots from behind him that's it that's what you have you you can't go back and you know try to figure out ways to make it more interesting or fascinating or add more stuff to it and i think that's where we get some of these you know um shots of outside the car but other than that you get what you get there's nothing else there you you have to hope that tom hardy's performance is so captivating and so good that you don't have to worry about adding anything else in afterwards so i'm sure there's someone listening i made the statement like i don't know what other movie happened to this isolated (laughs) um and i'm sure someone went to double check and the the movie that i'm thinking about i thought came after this one but i just i just went and fact checked so the movie that i'm that i'm thinking of that i very often compare this movie to is is um the rodrigo cortez uh film with ryan reynolds buried oh buried. which apparently yeah. came out in, in yeah. 2010 i did not realize it came out that long ago i'm like oh yeah that was just a couple of years ago you know <laughs> but um i very often think about these two films in in tandem with each other uh buried is actually even more uh um isolated than uh than um what film are we talking about? Lock. <laughs> Lock. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so unburied. Um, but uh, but I always point to Buried as, first of all, uh, the fact that Ryan Reynolds is a really good actor. Um, yeah. Because in when Buried... When he wants to be, yeah. When he wants to be. Uh, he's, either, he's either a good actor when he wants to be or he's Deadpool. Um, yeah. So there, there is that. Yes. Um, but you know, in buried, you don't get the benefit of, you know, exterior shots. You, the Mm -hmm. whole movie literally happens in this like coffin and, and that's all just Ryan Reynolds performance. Um, and, and I mean, there, I don't even think there are 
uh, establishing shots. I'm pretty sure the whole film just happens in, in the coffin. Um, and so I think about that and I don't know, I, maybe that's more stunty than, uh, than Locke is, but again, buried works for me. Um, because it's because it's a good performance and it's an interesting story and it's captivating. It's it's also a lot more thriller than than Locke is. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's just another example of a movie that I'm super attracted to because of the limited cast and the limited uh, space. And it does a lot of similar things that Locke does, where Ryan Reynolds' character is just making making calls and like trying to figure out how to get out of this box. Um, so. Yeah, that that's uh, for anyone out there who was like, "Wait a minute, buried came out before Locke." I'm like, okay, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> for me, the concept of like a stunt, like I I bristle at it as well because I think it's almost lazy criticism to just be like, "Oh, it's like done in one shot, so therefore it must be like a stunt." Like I don't necessarily mm-hmm. agree with that because I think that there's degrees of how well you do it, um, and I personally I think Locke does it really well um there is one movie that i'll i'll bring up as an example um that came out recently uh, and it's called night ride i don't know if either of you guys caught it it's like a, a fairly small movie that came out of belfast um the city not like a film festival like it was actually shot in belfast um and it is very very similar to Locke in that it takes place all in a car and he gets phone calls throughout and he's like a drug dealer that is doing his last, like it's that kind of stereotypical sh- movie of like, it's his last go. It's his last ride. Like this is the last job that he's going to do. And then he retires and he goes live like a straight life after that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, in that movie, it is interesting that you said that Thomas about like, if it was done in one take. So that movie is done in one take and it genuinely is done in one take. Um, and he does get out of the car at times um, and part of the production notes of that was the car gets pulled over by the cops at one point, And that was actually real. Like the cops genuinely pulled him over um, just to, I think, just check. Nothing happened to him. Like they just checked his license and then they let him move on. Um, but that made it into the movie because they were just doing one take, like one take. To me, the difference between Locke and something like Night Ride is Locke. There's so many interesting things within the storytelling and the you know like we're talking about the the construction project and then obviously the whole you know the deal with um him going to which we'll get into a little bit later but like um his his not girlfriend but the you know his he's got a new baby on the way who who's the product outside of his marriage and there's interesting threads in there whereas night ride the most interesting thing about that movie was that it was done in one take that it was, you know, kind of a single one man show, even though he does do other things. But like, that's the most interesting thing about the movie. And to me, when you can say that the most interesting about the thing about the film is the fact that it was one take or the fact that it is done in one set location. That to me is when it kind of goes into stunt territory or like trope territory, I suppose. Um, So you're kind of doing it just for the sake of doing it, but you don't have a story to back it up. And that for me is kind of the differentiation between a movie done well that uses a quote unquote cinematic stunt and then one that doesn't do it well. But like there are ways to supersede that idea of a stunt, if that makes sense. Did either of you see that movie? I don't I don't think you guys did. No. It's, it's I did not. Small. Um but I kinda want to now so that uh <laughs> so that i can criticize it <laughs> um no i uh, i actually like 100 percent agree with what you're saying ultimately like any movie um that had that that has any style to it, it has to for me have a good story 
to support it, mm-hmm. right? And so when you lack a good story, then I have to look at, okay, why is this movie in existence, right? So you look at things like the Transformers movies, you know, those are stunt films in the sense that in the sense that they're just blockbusters, right? They don't have good stories, mm-hmm. not, not even slightly, but they are meant to be a blockbuster film. Uh, and that's the stunt, right? There's not a good story. It comes out in the summer, lots of CGI, like that, that I would call a stunt because it doesn't have the story to support <laughs> the fact the you know, support the, the, the movie. Um, and so I agree with you. I do think Locke has, um, it has character development. It has um, interesting threads in the narrative and multiple threads in the narrative. Um, and so, you know, he's juggling a, a bunch of different things at the same time. Um, there is definitely a story here, which I appreciate and is one of the reasons I really enjoy it because you, you're, you're trying to figure out how these stories are going to unfold as more details are revealed or as new things happen. Um, and the fact that it happens in this car, um, doesn't take away from the story. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. One thing, I mean, with this movie, you guys both have mentioned it. It's like, in order to pull off something like this, you need a really good performance. You need somebody to ground the movie and to kind of, um, you know, to uplift, the fact that it is static, right? Like we're just in one setting. So you have to get something to capture you from, and that's all on Tom Hardy's shoulders. Um, I will, I, I, I like Tom Hardy. I think he's a good actor. I do think he does have a tendency at times in some of his performances to kind of overdo it a little bit. He's, he can be a little bit much. And so when you do come down to, well, it's just a, a one man performance. It's just him on screen. You kind of go, well, we don't know. I mean, at the time, I don't think I had many opinions on Tom Hardy, because uh, I think I'd only seen him in Inception when I first saw this movie. I don't know if I really saw him in anything else. Um, but, oh no, Bronson as well. But he overacts a little bit in Bronson. Oh my goodness. Um, did, did Inception <laughs> come out bit. before this movie? How did all yeah, the movies I love come out before this movie? <laughs> <laughs> Inception's, Inception's 2010. And I could be wrong, but I think Bronson is 2007 or 8, somewhere in that kind of territory. So he was well known like to the British public at that point. But I do think... Mm now he has a bit more reputation of maybe like a scene chewing kind of guy. Um, but how did his performance play out for the two of you? So Dakota, why don't we start with you on that one? Yeah, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm the biggest Tom Hardy fan in general. I, I certainly like some of the movies that he's been in, you know, in inception. I don't think he has a ton to do in that movie. He just, is one of the many people in the ensemble. Uh, Mm -hmm. he was really good in Mad Max Fury road, his bane was was sort of whatever. Um, so it's it's a little tough to to because I I do agree he often does sort of chew the scenery and overact, or he does the complete opposite and tries to do as little as possible. And for the most part, I would say he he tries to do as little as possible in this movie, except for a few key moments. And and I think those moments where he goes really big are also what doesn't work for me. I would say in particular, you know, there's this, there's this conceit of, you know, he's doing all these phone calls, but then also he's having this conversation with his father. We don't know Mm -hmm. if he's deceased or not. I can't remember, but either way, his father was not president present in his life. And we learned that he eventually showed up when he was 
I presume an adult, and tried to have a relationship with his son that he never cared about having one with earlier, and that's why he's doing all of this. And so he's having this conversation with his dad of being like, I'm not like you. I'm going to be there for the kid, even if it ruins my whole life, and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to let him know that I'm there. And ironically, those scenes work the least for me. Mm. Every time he's talking to his father, I completely lose interest. They, they're they just They're just telegraphing too much. They're trying to over explain everything i like that there was some mystery in some of these phone calls he was having like "Ooh, what what is his relationship with this woman Ooh, what's happening with his wife and what uh, why does he care so deeply that he's willing to throw away his entire career and all this sort of stuff i found very very interesting and fascinating but every time he was talking to his imaginary father in the back seat i just feel like they were just telegraphing way too hard and over explaining and you know it's one of those things where in movies you show you don't tell Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, in a movie like this, you can't show anything because it's just in a car. So you're only telling. But how do you tell in a way that is closer to showing mm-hmm. as opposed to just telling? And I feel like that's just the telling part. So it's it's tough. I, I, I feel like he's okay. But like I said uh, at, at the top, I, I, I found the phone calls the most interesting stuff. I really liked what Andrew Scott was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the conversations with Olivia Coleman, who was, you know, his, not his lover, because he does not love her. Uh, he makes that very clear that he does not love her because <laughs> it was one night they don't even know each other. His uh, sexual partner in the mother of his child. I thought those conversations were very interesting. Uh, obviously, Ruth Wilson playing his wife was able to kind of ground the story of like, no, this is this is a real situation that's happening and he is willing to kind of throw away his entire marriage of to make what he believes is the right choice. So I, I found all these phone calls so fascinating and I and I and I love them and I wish there was more of that. I could keep listening to him talking to Andrew Scott explaining how to pour concrete for more for the rest of the movie. <laughs> I really like the ones with the sons as well. Like those broke my mm-hmm. heart because it's like yeah. he is, I mean, and that gets to that was actually like, we'll just kind of blend those two um, discussion points in. Cause I did want to talk about the scenes with his quote, like his dad in the back seat or whatever, and how those scenes worked um, for you guys. But I think that that idea of like when his sons are talking to him and it's this weird, like paradox of on one hand, he thinks he's doing right by this girl he doesn't know and who's about to like basically ruin his family not sorry i shouldn't say she's ruining his family it's his decision that ruined it but you know he's going to do what he thinks is the right thing to help you know and and to be the father he doesn't want to be the deadbeat father that his father was but in doing so he kind of becomes that because you know you hear the heartbreak in the voice of you know tom holland it's just like like are you coming home like can you please come home like mom's crying in the bathroom like what's going on um, and those things just tore me up because I'm like, you are, you think you're doing um, the honorable thing by this woman you slept with one time. You don't even know her. Uh, but in doing so, you are literally like damaging your children <laughs> at this point, your your other kids who you do also have an obligation to. So, uh, but Thomas, how'd that work for you? Had the, you know, Tom Hardy's performance, those scenes with the father in the back seat and him going all ranty on on this uh, figment of his imagination yes uh i have thoughts about this and i'm, I'm sorry there's some noise happening outside of my okay. my studio so um i apologize about that if that gets into the recording but um i i just watched the movie this week and completely forgot about the scenes where he's talking to his imaginary father <laughs> <laughs> 
like Dakota said that and I was like, oh yeah, I guess that did happen, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're so they're so forgettable for the most yeah. part. Yeah. They, it's they the are. weakest part of the movie, I think. I personally think it's the weakest yes, part of the movie. I I agree. Um I I didn't care for that. And I also do like the notion of um of the mystery. Although I think at the same time it might have been necessary to help justify why he's throwing everything away. Like he feels yes. so compelled about how how he felt about his father's presence in his life or, or absence in his life that that he's making this very extreme decision to uh, you know to jeopardize his his current life in order to do what he thinks is honorable. So you know it's 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 an it's almost a necessary evil to explain why because I. I think that um, one of the things that kind of bothered me uh, about the film is, is how he handled doing this honorable decision. Um, I think that even, even more problematic than him talking to his, uh, his imaginary father is him trying to be rational with the wife that he just, that he just announced he's having, uh, he had an affair with someone else and is having their kid right now. He approaches his, the conversations with his wife, um, as if she's supposed to behave rationally in this situation, (laughs) things like, you know, honey, uh, you know, I want to talk about this. Maybe we can go get dinner and have a conversation. And I'm just like, bruh, <laughs> that is, that is not the level she's on right now. <laughs> I do not think she wants to go on a date with you right now, you know? And so also, like the shitty bit of hearing this news from your husband as he's on the phone, like, you know, like you're right. not even doing this in person. Like you have a whole family mm-hmm. with this kid, with this guy. Exactly. Right. And I think, so I think that that's the biggest problem for me is like, is, is how, um, like, I think, I guess answering the question about Tom Hardy's performance, I, I, you know, I think he does, you know what he does with with the material um i uh, you know i was actually thinking back and i'm like wait which roles do i like overly like uh, <laughs> tom hardy in? and i think i just like you know mediocrely like him and like i know him i recognize his name but then I, I when i think about like okay what movie was he like stand out in and uh yeah, his movies I, are often good, but not usually because of him. Like, right. If, yes. if you're saying, oh, there's a new Tom Hardy movie, you'll be like, oh, a new Christopher Nolan movie? <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, Dark Knight Rises came out before Locke. You guys, I feel so old right now. <laughs> <laughs> it did, yeah. Like, this was, what, 20, 2012 Dark Knight Rises, isn't it? 2012 Dark Knight yeah, Rises. Wow. I just cannot believe so much came out before 2013. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I, I did, I do remember spending like every conversation he had with his wife thinking, look, dude, realistically, you've had time to process this. And I know you're in a rational state right now, or at least you think you're in a rational state, but I don't know what part of that rational state you think you're in makes you think that your wife is going to be in a rational state. Um, so like you're on your way to the birth of a child that she has no idea about is just now like she has like 90 minutes less than 90 minutes to process (laughs) this brand new news that you've had for you know months now at least i I assume that's what the case is but uh um yeah that i think that that is just the most um the most problematic thing for this movie with me is i wish that he had had a more a believable interaction with his wife because i think i think his wife reacts appropriately very yes, yes very reasonably right considering the circumstances like yes that's that is what i would expect from someone who just got this news who is mm-hmm. just now trying to process this 
Uh, and honestly, I think she comes to conclusions a lot quicker than than uh, <laughs> than than other people might. So so there's that to you know uh, to her defense. But uh, but yeah, he he's just calm, cool, and collected. Like honey, like let's just talk it out. Like you know, I'll, I'll, no, not even let's just talk it out. I'll talk about it when I get home after my baby is born. <laughs> like <laughs> like that is just not how that's supposed to happen. And and so yeah. Anyway, that's that's where I am about the material. <laughs> So I would say, I think, even though it, it, it's like you wish you he would react better, I don't know how out of character it would be for a guy, like, to do something like that, to just like in their brain, because like you said, they've already reconciled it in their head. They're like, listen, like, I messed up. I got to go do right by this person, you know, or not the I don't think it's do right by the woman, but it's do right by the child who's being born, right? Like, yeah. that's, that's who he wants to do right by. Mm-hmm. And in his head, he's just like, yeah, like, I, I you know, this is what I got to do. And, you know, he's got that very kind of typical, like, I screwed up. So I'm going to pretend that everything is like, kind of a bit in denial, almost and being like, mm-hmm. hey, like, babe like why why are you why are you why are you acting like that like what's your problem right. you know like calm down a little bit and i could totally see somebody in his position kind of acting like that i don't agree with it and i think he's right. like scum for doing that but right. i don't know if i would agree with saying like it's un what's the word like it's um unrealistic like i do act- i could see somebody reacting like that it's just yeah. i wouldn't like i would never want somebody to react like that because it's 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 heartless and it's yeah. incredibly cruel to do and maybe and maybe that's what i want more context like what kind of person is he outside of this car because i think the mm-hmm. thing that cu- that cued me in on how selfish he's being about the situation is he says the phrase i what i want like multiple times to his wife what i want to do is i want to sit down i want to talk with you i want i want to want like bro shut up dude <laughs> <laughs> Like you need to cool it on the I once, okay? You might want to figure out what she wants and uh, and maybe work that angle because the I once isn't working for you. Um, so I, I think that was, and I, I I don't know, maybe that's just a small detail that I picked up on, but like every time he said I want it, I just cringed. Like, dude, this is not no, about I, what you want right now, at least with the conversation with her. <laughs> but I think that that like adds to who he is, like who Ivan Locke is. It's like this man is just thinking about himself really like in a sense it's it's that kind of moral dilemma of like do you do you tell somebody that you know you hurt them years later when it is no benefit to them do you know what i mean like but it it only only unleashing the truth absolve yourself of any guilt of burden that you have on yourself right but in doing so you're going to hurt somebody else quite a bit and for no reason right i mean this is a bit different because you you are obviously dealing with a child and mm-hmm. you can't really keep a kid secret or you shouldn't you right. shouldn't keep love child secret <laughs> um uh but yeah i I'd like and i think in terms of the idea of uh with the whole sequence of the the dad in the back seat and it's like i think i don't have a problem with the concept of like his deadbeat dad is his justification for wanting to go to the hospital and be there for the kid um, for the new child. But I think I just don't like the execution of it. I'm with you guys on that one. Like, I don't think that that whole bit was done very well. And I don't think that Tom Hardy in particular kind of delivered those scenes in a way that was in, cause it feels really out of place in the movie too. Like in the whole movie, he's so chill and like, so whatever, but in these, like he just is kind of ranting at nobody. And I know that that's supposed to kind of show like the, 
degradation of his brain in that sense, um, you know, kind of the other side of the coin. But it just, that didn't work for me at all. I, I think it was a bit much and a bit like Tom Hardy's scene chewing that I'm not a massive fan of. Mm-hmm. I feel like, um, and, you know, this is just kind of the thought process that I'm on, uh, you know, thinking more about like who, who Ivan is and how he behaves. It's something that I look at in films to kind of determine how much I, I, you know, care about the story is the idea of consequences, right? I mm-hmm. think that compelling stories have consequences and, you know, you have to, you, you, each story will deal with those consequences, however they're going to, but I don't know if I got enough consequence uh, for his character. Maybe that's why I feel so offended at how he, how, he treats, <laughs> <laughs> how he talks to his wife in this, because, you know, the, you know, and, and we're in, spo- you know, talking spoilers. So ultimately his wife, again very quickly comes to the conclusion and, and good for her that hey this is this is over don't come home we're getting a divorce we'll have you know arrangements for the kids uh to see the kids and you know ultimately that's the conclusion you know to to come to at least for her um but that's the biggest consequence and he is entirely unfazed by it uh, not entirely unfazed like he 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 wants to maintain the relationship but at least as far as like his his um demeanor in the car He's he's so elsewhere that that particular consequence is like a, a a little like footnote on on other things that he's actually a lot more invested in, and so that consequence didn't hit with me. The idea of oh well, it looks like they're going to you know go through with the divorce and and his home life is ruined, right? Like he doesn't seem as phased about it as he is with the kid that's being born and the construction project that that's going on. Um, and so it doesn't hit me like, you know, does he like what, where is the remorse? Where is the, like, ultimately, what is the consequence? What is his, his ultimate retribution, I guess, or, or whatever word I'm looking for to this whole story? Because the way that it ends, he, he almost like rides off into, I mean, it's, it's nighttime, so there's no sunset, but he just kind of rides off to, you know, his, his future that is the current state of things. And I don't know. Has he grown at all as a character out of this? Yeah, I, that's a tough question because I feel like the natural conclusion to this movie, if, if if we were to imagine what happens next to all these characters, is obviously he's been fired. He's going to have a hard time finding a job in his field. His wife is probably going to kick him out. Uh, he's probably going to have a strained relationship with his sons who maybe don't understand the rationale of his decision-making. Um and from there you're just basically left with a guy that is so believes in his conviction so strongly he's willing to throw everything away which that really isn't growth or learning from your mistakes that's kind of being stubborn mm-hmm. and and where where do you see Ivan Locke going after this who is he different from at the beginning of the movie because you know the only time we really see him making any sort of decision is at the very beginning he gets in his car after he's done work He's about to turn left and he's sitting there at the red light and then it turns green and he gets a honk to go. He decides to turn right. That's the only decision he really makes throughout the whole movie where he actually has to think about what he wants to do with his life. And he, he believes so strongly in his convictions that damn everything else, he's willing to throw away his, his career, his marriage, his children. He doesn't even care for this woman at all, so it's not like he's leaving his wife to you know start a new family or anything like that. He is going to be completely alone in this world after this movie is over. Yeah, but you know what's interesting is that I feel like he thinks it's heroic. 
I think which, yes, just, yes. which yeah. just makes me even more concerned about the character development here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like dude, the, the, and maybe there are consequences. Maybe I just don't feel the consequences because he thinks that these that that it's it's a heroic or an honorable thing to do. And I, I don't know if I want him feeling honorable. You know, I yeah, I want him feeling how how his wife wants him to feel. Right? It's like this is not OK. I think that kind of raises the interesting aspect of like the ambiguity that this film has within it. And especially with the ending, because you have to kind of come up with your own ending. Like maybe does his wife actually take him back and they kind of figure it out, right? They, they, they just work it out. Like a lot of couples do and a lot of families do, especially because they have children. Um, or does he really is alone? Like Dakota said, like, is he alone? Is he just, um, you know, kind of on this misguided perception of, of heroic heroicism is he now just going to lead a, a very shitty life like from here on out kind of thing and and i find when movies end off in that kind of ambiguous tone it is interesting because it, it's up to you to decide whether you're not and it is more true to life in many ways because like in life nothing is really wrapped up in a neat bow at the end where we kind of figure it out like it's just going to keep going so after the camera you know everything fades to black it's like it the the these people even though they're fictional it's like you can imagine they just keep going they just you know we and we aren't really privy to what happens to them so thomas obviously you would rather have seen like some sort of consequence some sort of something to happen to him to show like either some growth or um you know some stakes basically and kind of in in a in emotional stakes i suppose yeah rather than physical Right. And maybe this is just me being selfish. Like you need to make no. the movie that I want, <laughs> I want you to make, you know? <laughs> um, but I think I, for a more satisfying mm-hmm. uh, movie going experience, I would have liked something to happen to make him question, you know, it, what he is considering honorable. Mm-hmm. Um, because mm-hmm. ultimately like we know he thinks he's doing the right thing. And, and, and I can, I mean, I can, with the whole backstory about his dad and everything like i can understand it. it's one of those things that i can understand even though i, I don't mm-hmm. agree with but also um like i i want to i want that to be questioned I, I, ambiguity i'm okay with ambiguity I, I i don't mind like coming up with my own uh it, it makes podcasts like this so very interesting to have conversations about right so i don't mind the ambiguity of the ending but i guess i also kind of like thematically speaking or morally speaking like when there's something that's that you know we can all we can all kind of agree is is morally questionable um that maybe he has that he has an opportunity to have those same questions uh and i don't think this movie opened that opportunity or at least the the narrative as it is opened that opportunity for him to really think like am i am I actually doing the right thing? Um, you know, what are the repercussions? Like it, you know, I feel honorable in this moment, but like, you know, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, like, you know, what are the, what are the long-term effects of this decision? Um, and I guess that just kind of goes to how isolated the story is being that it's happening in this car. And I guess I didn't even realize it's very slice of life. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I, I appreciate that. That's kind of cool. But, uh, 
but yeah, I, I, I just, I want him to question himself. I want him to have some, <laughs> some like, uh, just some moment to think like, maybe I'm not right here. <laughs> like, maybe this isn't the right thing to do, or maybe I, I should reconsider. Right. But again, that I think that's the movie I would make. Right. I think selfishly mm-hmm. speaking, when, when I have a narrative experience, I want, um, I want there to be more, um, uh, layers to how a character is perceiving the reality. All right. So that's all the kind of discussion things I want to talk about, but was there anything that I missed that the two of you want to discuss about this movie? I feel like we're spending the, dura- the like the duration of the film is how long we spent talking about it, which is kind of cool. No, I, I would say I feel like we kind of hit all all the big points that I, I want to talk about. Uh, did did anyone have any uh, favorite voice actor that they liked in all of these? Since I, I feel like I've I've been talking about that. I liked Ruth Wilson. Um, I thought she was very, very, very good. And it's like you can to hear like the conflict and the heartbreak and the anger and everything from her like we don't even see her face but you can imagine like what she looks like like the just the kind of torture that she's under and i think that that it's like it's they're all very good like i agree with you too dakota like andrew scott's amazing in it as well um but i really liked ruth wilson's performance Mm -hmm. i i will second that uh ruth wilson and andrew scott both of those are were the highlights for me um I think that there's just a lot of uh, uh, a lot of depth to how they're they had to respond to Ivan's, you know, um, behavior and 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 uh, his way of going about this evening. So um, definitely a lot of emotional value to uh, you know Ruth Wilson's uh, performance, especially with her character's predicament. Um, and I don't know, like. <laughs> There's a lot of times I'm like, no, get back on the phone with your wife so that she can like really give it to you. Like, I, really <laughs> <laughs> I need her to yell at you some more, <laughs> you know? Uh, I, so, so there's that. And yeah, um, I, I, I wasn't um, like, I like Olivia Coleman, but I don't know if I cared for the overattached um, character she played. Um, I, I don't, I don't know if there was enough reasoning for that. Um uh, maybe they could have gone in a different direction, uh, but but yeah, great voice acting overall um, from everyone, and uh, and I think that it it helps make this make this movie as engaging as it is. Um, all right, so why don't we move into our game section of uh, our A24 retrospective series, and that is we pick a movie that is going to be a double feature that we think would be a good double feature for the movie that can't be an A24 movie, and then, of course, we have the Would You Rather. So let's start with the double feature. Um, Thomas, why don't you go first? So what movie would you pair with Locke that is a non- not a A24 movie? Right. So earlier I mentioned one film um, that I, like I said, when I think of Locke, I think of Buried just because, again, mm-hmm. um, of the, the isolated nature and Buried being even more isolated uh, than than Locke. So if you want that, like, I mean, I think that Buried does a really good job of having that like claustrophobic kind of feel to it. Um, and so I originally was going to say that. Um, but then I thought about another film that I went and revisited this week and thought, you know what? 
Um, and I actually did double feature these. I watched Locke and then thought, <laughs> you know, I should go watch this one and see if there's a, if, if it's a good match. Um, but I would actually say a good double feature with Locke is probably Phone Booth. Yes. Um, yes. And uh, I... Yeah, I like that movie a lot. It's not it's not as isolated as Locke is. Um, it uh, it does do the filming uh, outside um, situations or outside calls that he's making. Um, so it does kind of it, it doesn't just stay in the phone booth. There is other cinematography happening here, um, but most of the movie happens in, on this block. Um, where this phone this phone call is happening with this psycho stalker killer guy, and uh, and on top of that, there's also kind of the theme of of uh, infidelity involved. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's not tangible, it's kind of like uh, emotional cheating that that uh, that the main character there is is accused of, and so. Um, you know, you kind of have that theme going as well, but there's there's much more character development, I think, <laughs> in Phone <laughs> Booth. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I enjoyed um, um, double featuring that. And I think that they, you know, there's enough in common that they could be a good double feature. Nice. It's a great movie. Underrated mm-hmm. Colin Farrell, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. And Dakota, Absolutely. how about you? Yeah, I remember being a big fan of that one when I was younger. I haven't yeah. revisited it in years. I probably should. Um, I, I, yeah, this was a, this was an interesting one. Cause I feel like you can go in multiple different directions of, of how to approach it. At first, I was trying to come up with a, a movie pairing that saw a character who makes a choice that they know isn't the best option, but still goes through with it. And, and I really struggled and I was like, well, I was thinking maybe something like Watchmen, uh, but I was like, ah, it doesn't really work in, in the same way. But you know, I, I instead went with much like Thomas, uh, a one person film. And, uh, and I don't know if there will ever be another time for me to chat about this movie. And that is the JC Chandor movie. All is lost, which is about Robert Redford alone on a boat who, uh, has to weather a storm quite literally and figuratively. And it's just him on a boat and there's almost no dialogue. And it's just him trying to survive on a boat. And so I like the, the, the concept of they're both in vehicles. They're both alone, He's dealing with memories of his uh, recently deceased wife. So there's the past angle that's coming up into present and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so I, I like that concept of the the one person movie. And so that's the direction that I went with. Have either of you seen that movie? No. I have not. not I'm not a big okay. Redford well, person, so I should. But, oh, I, I am. I'm just uh, not. Well, J.C. Chandor, the, the director, had made has made three movies so far, or four movies so far. And the first three I was absolutely in love with. And one of them is actually an A24 movie, A Most Violent Year, the Oscar Isaac and Jessica right, Chastain yeah. movie. But he also made the very excellent um, sort of Wall Street drama thriller margin call uh, that I really love. But then he did the god-awful movie Triple Frontier, and I don't know if I've <laughs> forgiven him for that yet. Hey, everyone's got to get paid at some point. Um, yeah. <laughs> can't, can't blame him. Uh, those are really both really good. I should probably check that movie, that Redford movie out, because I have heard of it, but and I heard people saying it was really, really good. But yeah, I don't know. I, he doesn't do it for me. I'm just saying. Um, I was pretty close to you guys in terms of going for like movies that were single setting um kind of isolation mine has more than one character in it and i went for i i thought about phone booth and i thought about buried as well because i think that those two actually work really well with Locke as well 
Um, but I went with a Richard Linklater movie from 2001 called Tape. And it is Ethan Hawke, Robert, Sean Leonard, and Uma Thurman. And they're in a motel room. And they play three high school students who kind of have it out with each other in terms of like um, a thing that happened in high school that they're rehashing. Um, so I don't want to give too much away about it. But um, and it's just the three of them in the room. And there's a lot. It's very, very dialogue heavy. And them talking about different kind of morality choices and uh, concepts of like forgiveness and justice and things like that. Uh, it's a really, really great movie. And it's got a bit of kind of psychological tension in it as well, which um, Locke doesn't really do. But it's similar to Locke in that it's just kind of a, a bit of a, a more quiet but in very intense type of movie. Have either of you guys seen uh, I've tape? never even heard of that. Yeah. I have not either, but I am thoroughly intrigued. This sounds really good. And, you know, I think uh, um, ultimately what Locke is missing is the psychological thriller. <laughs> like, I just needed yeah. to see that. <laughs> <laughs> what we paired with Locke are a bunch of psychological thrillers. And <laughs> I think that's just the component Locke is missing. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> like a sci-fi factor as well. Just like yeah, aliens yeah. come down all of a sudden. That'd be great. There you go. Um, <laughs> all right, that's cool. I was actually kind of thinking we would have chosen. We're still on a streak, Dakota, of nobody choosing the same movie for double feature, and mm-hmm. I was very nice. sure that we would kind of because I thought it would phone booth or buried because I those make sense to me of, of of double features. But I'm glad we got three different choices. All right, so let's do. Would you rather, uh, Dakota? We'll start with you. Okay, so would you rather? have every important phone call you ever have to have to be answered while driving or the only way to get sober, whether whatever substances you're choosing is to run. <laughs> this is a good one. So you can, I, o- you can only answer the phone in your car for important phone calls, whether it's work, personal, whatever, or, you know, you've had a couple drinks and whatever, or, you know, you, you've gotten a little stoned, whatever your, your, your preference is, your vice is you have to run. My question is not nearly that interesting. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas, which one? What, what, what would you pick? You know, just because I'm kind of on a, I'm thinking about summer and getting in shape, and I do like drinking. So <laughs> I feel like I'm hitting two birds with one stone if I, if I do the the running to get sober. You know, I can get fit and get sober at the same time. I suppose that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, even if you've maybe had a, a couple too many old fashions and uh, and you end up having to throw up a bit. Yeah, Aww. you know, it's just less just less calories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going the other way. I hate running. There's there are things that I really hate in life, and running is one of them. I can't stand it. I just running is this. I I never understood the people who are like oh, I have a runner's high. It's so I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't understand it. Like I've tried so hard. To, like I've run a half marathon because I thought I'm gonna chase this runner's high. I'm like I don't understand what you guys are talking about. So no, um, I am. You'd rather past- just a regular high high. You know what? We don't need to talk about that. But like, we- <laughs> all I'm saying is. I am past the age now where I'm done trying to chase this idea that running, I'm a runner. I'm not a runner. I'm good. It's fine. (laughs) I love driving. So I'll take Uh, phone calls in my car all the time. No big deal. Gas is pretty expensive these days. So I might need to get like a electric car if I can afford one. Um, But yeah, I'm, I'm going with every 
call, every uh, phone call, important call in a car. Done. You're Rachel. You're not wrong. Running is awful. I hate it's it. So bad. <laughs> it is. I just don't get these people running around, mm-hmm. and they look so happy. I'm like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. If you see me running, I'm probably gonna look annoyed. <laughs> yes, and as you should. See, the people who look pained and are just like angry, I'm like, I get it. I do yes. understand. And I get that you're doing it for like cardiovascular health, and I, I respect that. It's those ones who are like smiling. I'm like, get out of here. What's wrong with Psychos. You? They are. There's something wrong with them. Oh, God. Uh, Dakota, which one would you choose for your own? I, I'd probably uh, go with Thomas and go for running. The, the reason why is I don't mind running. I it, It's usually hard for me to actually, you know, uh, convince myself to do it. But once I'm actually out there, I don't mind it as much. But uh, as far as when I'm driving, I much rather listen to music or podcasts. I don't want to have to have a conversation. You know, I'm just trying <laughs> to get from point A to point B. I don't want to hear, like, converse with someone. So, yeah. Oh, that's it. That actually makes my question a little bit more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thomas, why don't we go with you then? What's your, well, what's your would you rather? It, it's really, I mean, I, I should have been more creative with this, but I'm like, I don't know, the movie is minimalist. My question is just a tricky minimalist. One. It was tricky, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess, you know, if, you, if you're in a situation where you're on a late night drive, you know, for a couple hours, would you rather talk on the phone or listen to music? Yeah, I actually thought about this. I genuinely thought about this for a question. Actually, I, I was like, "Oh, like maybe like music or podcast." That's what I was going to go with. But, right. Yeah. I well, I guess we know Dakota's answer. Yeah. Yeah. Very very easy. Yeah. Uh, I think I'd go with music as well. I I would probably prefer just listening to whatever it is that I feel like listening. Although, have you guys ever got those moments where it's like you just can't find the thing that you want to listen to, and it's very mm, frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're just like, you spend 20 minutes just like, I don't know what I want. Like, I don't know if I want to do podcast right now, if mm-hmm. I want to music, like what kind of music that kind of frustrates me a little bit, but I think I'd rather go music over, over t- having to converse with another human being. <laughs> Which is fascinating. I mean, I do, I do. I mean, I've done long drives plenty of times and I do listen to music, but I don't know. I mean, as you guys may have picked up on this podcast, I'd like to talk. <laughs> like a bunch um and so i i don't know i think uh i think talking like with the you know the right conversation and the right person like i, I mean i have i have kind of a uh a set of of friends or people that i you know kind of have on uh you know on like my speed dial if i'm driving so yeah i i would probably have a conversation and uh and talk uh if if that was an option you ever talk to yourself in the car I do that. Um, so just just to, to clear the air, like just to make it more comfortable <laughs> for you, I definitely talk to myself in the car sometimes. That's funny. No, I actually don't. I mean, I I I do a lot of thinking, um, and yeah, but I don't think I talk to myself. I, oh, oh, the one thing I do though, the one thing I do, I don't talk to myself. But let me tell you, my carpool karaoke is oh, is like listen. is next level awful. <laughs> but I think it's like like grade a concerts okay <laughs> i am basically adele when i'm like in the car man like it, my god i'm just such a great singer it's unbelievable like last night i was driving home and i was like cranking Aaliyah actually and i'm like i am pretty much Aaliyah. like this is just as good as she did it's fantastic damn if only i could have been a fly in that car <laughs> 
no, even flies aren't allowed in the car when I exactly. This is this is a very personal moment. It's just between me and me. That's all it is. Yeah, I'm telling you. In my head, I have the light shows. I have the audience. (laughs) I have the microphone. I'm doing a dance routine. Like it is a full production in my head. (laughs) I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. Yes, and they're and they're excellent. Like and and you don't have to pay for the ticket. It's great. You. It's amazing. I get you. (laughs) um all right i went kind of similar with dakota and uh in terms of like i guess similar to both of you but like um so i said you guys remember those stories of people who hop onto a plane and they have no wi-fi on the plane they get fired when they Mm -hmm. land and everybody Mm -hmm. on social media knows this so (laughs) yep my question to you guys is would you rather get a call from your boss and you have a 90 minute drive and over the course of that 90 minutes you need you're basically in the process of getting fired the same thing that happens to Ivan Locke throughout the the film mm-hmm. or would you rather hop onto a plane there's no wi-fi and you after a 90 minute or whatever flight you land and then your phone blows up because you just found out you got fired which firing Ooh. would you rather that's mm. interesting uh first of all why doesn't the plane have wi-fi uh, because it's 2013. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. This is, Wi-Fi is still a relatively new thing on a plane. It is, which I think is so unfortunate. Um, <laughs> well, it would be the same as now, where you know you, they pay you you pay twenty dollars to get access yeah. to the Wi-Fi, and then it's down. In this, and you, you pay twenty dollars to find out you got fired. Yes, I guess yeah. that's true too. Uh, Dakota, I, I, this is actually what I have to think about. Dakota, I'll, I'll let you go first on this one. You know, uh, this is, yeah, this is an interesting one. Uh, I think I would rather the, the plane option where it just kind of like comes to you because at least in that way, it's sort of like ripping off a bandaid. Whereas if you're on the phone and you're going through with it and you're like, you know, fighting for your life and you're like, no, but what about this? But what about Mm -hmm. that? They're like, well, it's it's above my pay grade. I can't, oh, my (laughs) hands are tired. All this sort of like nonsense that you hear from corporate BS, blah, blah, blah. And and just like that pit in your stomach of you already know that the decision's been made and the paperwork's probably been filed, but still you're they're having to go through this song and dance of explaining it to you and you're like, Well, what what can I, you know, do better for next time? You know, like that whatever. Like no one really cares. And you know, I'm making a motion with my hand that no one can see uh or hear. <laughs> But uh, this sounds so, yeah, personal, just, Dakota. Just... This sounds like we're getting into something <laughs> really personal here. Do, do we need to? Do we need to talk about something? You all right? Is there a time. <laughs> I, I have been. I have been let go once before, and and having that meeting was definitely uh, crappy. Uh, so yeah, I would rather just the the band aid be ripped off and be like, "This is what happened." Interesting, sure. Thomas. Huh. Yeah. Um. Oh, this is so interesting. Ah. Uh, I don't know because I like to think I'm charismatic enough to keep my job. <laughs> yeah, that's true, actually. Like if you, you think you, you, you can do it. Yeah, that's if, true. If I think I can do it. But you know what? To be fair. So I, I also have been laid off before. And so um, it is not a fun conversation. In fact, what I my strategy in the situation was just it was actually a sales strategy. It was just to not talk. Um, we just sat there. I swear we sat there for 15 minutes and nobody said anything because I'm waiting for them to say something. They're waiting for me to say something. And we're all just waiting for this to end. And I'm hoping that my silence changes their mind or there's their silence makes me, you know, end it. And, uh, and we just, we just sat there silently. It was a very awkward, awkward meeting. So I would, 
It was very. That should be a movie. That should be locked. <laughs> that's 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 the movie there. It, it was very. I mean that. I mean I, I learned this in sales. If you just don't say anything, then the person that you're not saying anything to will get uncomfortable enough to say whatever they have to to break the silence. And so uh, it's a great strategy until both of you are doing it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then and then it doesn't work. So with that experience in mind, I guess I will have to take the plane uh, option. But I also kind of need to know where I'm going, because if I'm going to like Hawaii or to like somewhere tropical, then it is a much easier bit of news to take. That's true. <laughs> That's the end destination does really matter. Great. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much, Thomas, for coming on. I really enjoyed uh, chatting with you. This is a really fun episode. You should come yeah. back. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, let's do this again. Let's you know, I like let's I like talking, so like on the phone when I'm driving. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, thank you, Thomas. It's, it was it was a real pleasure. Uh where can uh people find your work and, and where are you working on right now? Oh, that's right, that's right. Yes. Um, so you can, uh, find my content reviews, interviews, things like that, uh, at this is for real.com for real, of course, spelled F O R R E E L. Um, you can also follow for real on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at this is for real. I'm pretty sure that's still that thing, the, uh, handle <laughs> you can, the links are on the website though. So you can always go through there, uh, to find it, to find that. Um, you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at being TSJ. And, um, I guess I have Tribeca coming up. Um, so I'll be doing some Tribeca coverage. I have some interviews lined up. Uh, there's a couple movies that I'm in the process of reviewing and a few more that I want to watch during the festival uh, through their at-home platform. Uh, so yeah, Tribeca, that is going to be, uh, that's going to be on the website here in the next couple of weeks. So, you know, subscribe and follow that. Excellent. Well, in case you got any of your social media handles wrong, I am going to link to them in the show notes and I will verify that they oh, are man, correct. You are such so a that lifesaver. people can find your work there. <laughs> The magic, the magic of the, the of the description section. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yes, <laughs> Rachel. Where can people find you in your work? I can go to rachelkh.com and my Twitter is underscore rachelkh. I'm trying to think if I had anything new. I might have, but I'm I'm drawing a blank right now. So uh, yeah, yeah no, that's all go right. there. I'm sure there's something new there that I'm just forgetting about. <laughs> I don't know. Well, you can follow this show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. If you've seen Locke, let us know your thoughts. Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. Thanks for checking us out. Mm-hmm.